HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program is brought to you by the Dairy Farm Families of Wisconsin, the Wisconsin Milk Marketing Board. Did you know that today Wisconsin produces more than 600 varieties, types, and styles of American, international style, and original cheese that win more awards than any other state or country? To learn more, visit eatwisconsincheese.com. I'm Linda Palaccio, host of A Taste of the Past. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more. Good morning. You're listening to In the Drink on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. I'm your host, Joe Campanelli, and when I'm not hosting this radio show, which I love to do every week, uh, you can find me at one of our restaurants at Del Anima, Anfora, Lartuzzi, or Lapicho. Um, and if you'd like more of In the Drink, you can uh, tune in every Wednesday at 10 a.m. to hear the latest new episode live on heritageradionetwork.org. And you can also listen to all of our previous episodes there. And uh, if you want it to be weekly uploaded, uh, you can also check into iTunes. Um, I want to thank, uh, as always, uh, Jory Morales and Jack Inslee, who bring this uh, radio show together, put it together every week. We wouldn't be here without them. And the whole team uh, at Heritage, uh, these guys are just fantastic. Um, today, we have a, uh, a great episode for you today. We have a producer of one of my favorite wines you can find at all of our restaurants. It's something we actually did really well with By the Glass at Altalinia over the summer. Um, we have Ivan Rapuzzi from Ronki di Chala uh, in the studio. Welcome to In the Drink. Thank you. Thank you very much. Um, I also wanted to thank uh, Nicole Heyman from Soil Air Selections, a great partner. Uh, we love to buy wine from Soil Air. They have uh, fantastic other producers, uh, such as Odero and, and so many others. Uh, thank you. Thank you, Nicole. Thank you. Uh, you're in the studio. Uh, you don't have to chime in if you don't want to. Right, thank you. <laughs> um, Yvonne, it is, uh, I, before we get started, I'd, I'd really love uh, to send uh, our sincerest condolences for uh, I, I know your father passed away last year. Um, he was an, an icon in the industry for people who love 
real Italian wine and the work that that uh, your parents did in terms of bringing indigenous Friulian grapes um, made in an organic and loving way to to so many people is uh, can't be understated. So I wanted to, to send that to you. Um, uh, but here we're, we're here to, to talk about the great work that uh, that you're doing. Um, something that uh, we were talking about before the show got started that uh, I have not uh, heard about is a new biodiversity certification that you were one of the very first growers in uh, in Italy to uh, to obtain. Can you tell us more about uh, this biodiversity certification? Sure, sure. It is a, a very important uh, certification, but uh, I want to tell you that Ronchi di Cialla is really a traditional uh, producer. Mm-hmm. But we have uh, had all, always our ace also on some innovation. In fact, uh, when my parents uh, start, they, they want to make wines as uh, in the past, as it, traditional as possible. But in that times, uh, that was uh, something new because people work in completely different way using only international varieties. You know, in Friuli, n- nearly all the, the, the vines was with Merlot Pinot Grigio in that time. And this was in the 1970s? In the 70s, mm-hmm. yes. Because in Friuli we had a, a beautiful history in the past, and probably the dark age for uh, Friulian wine was between uh, the beginning of uh, the, uh, the 20th century till uh, 1970-98. Okay. Yeah. And does that have to do with increased uh, international varieties, and I imagine machinery in the vineyards, right. and also chemicals, agrochemicals. Exactly. It mm-hmm. also changing the way to grow the, the vine. For example, we have our traditional way to grow the wine. The name is cappuccina pruning. And in that time, people uh, use uh, completely different ways and change everything. This was a problem. And my parents want to, uh, to come back to the origin. Yeah, and it, it is, it's funny because that was a, a, as an innovation in that time. Why were people changing the ways of pruning? Was it for higher yields or for to allow for machinery to harvest? Probably for different reasons. Mm-hmm. One was for sure to to have a, a, a cheaper production and low costs. But also because uh, mm, I'm sorry about that, but uh, in, in my region many people didn't trust in himself and in the terroir. Okay. And so they brought back these old ways of pruning and old ways of treating the vines. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Other thing, my parents start only with indigenous varieties. And that was absolutely like a revolution in Italy. And in that time, uh, mm, they were supported by uh, some very famous journalists for that time, Luigi Veronelli, probably you know, Mario course, Soldati, yeah. uh, Gianni Brera. Uh, was a, like a, a resurrection of the, 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 the food and the wine for Italy in that time. And my father, my mara, mother in that time, was uh, some actors in, in that process. 
And now with uh, the biodiversity certification is exactly on the same way for us because uh, uh, we uh, trust very much in our terroir and we want to preserve um, and keep as well as possible our vines because uh, uh, we, we are not uh, just a farmer but noi custodiamo in Italian our, our piece of land. And we wanted to preserve in the best way as possible. Yeah. And that certification is something different from organic or biological certification. Because organic certification is just as a protocol, more or less. You can use some products, you can use others. But, for example, you can use a lot of copper sulfate. But, you know, uh, copper especially is a poison. A poison for the soil. This is something that I hear a lot from... Uh, both organic growers and non-organic growers who think that copper is really bad because you're allowed to use it in both organic and even biodynamic certified wines, mm -hmm. but the copper never leaves the soil, right? It's a heavy metal, and it's every year when you put more copper, you have an increased amount of copper in your yeah. soil. And it is a poison for the soil, and uh, many species of animal, of insects living in the soil uh, died after some year, and, mm -hmm. and it is a, a big problem because everything is connected in our world. So what do you do that would take the place of copper? Well, uh, there are some... Uh, first, uh, the first important thing is uh, try to, to have more balance and more equilibrium in the vine mm -hmm. and have some natural resistance against the, 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 the problems, the fungi, for example, Peronospora or Idio. So it was very important, for example, don't using fertilization. Seems strange, but it's like that. Because uh, the, the leaves are more strong and has more resistance against the problems. Uh, and then there are some uh, new uh, organic molecules, for example, that, uh, of course, uh, uh, we, we use uh, instead the, the copper sulfate. And these molecules are, more, uh, are less impact because after spray on the vines, after three or four hours, they completely disappeared thanks to the light, thanks to the temperature, mm -hmm. to the air. So you add these uh, these organic treatments uh, against mostly against uh, mildew and mold funguses, as you mm -hmm. said, um, and unlike copper, which will stay forever, this just disappears. It treats the the mildew and then and then it's gone. Yeah, uh, this is great. Copper at least one or two a, a time a year, no more, in mm -hmm. my opinion. Uh, After that, with that certification, it's very important, for example, to have minimum 30% of the property covered by forest. Because uh, during the fermentation, we produce CO2 that, uh, you know, is, is a gas, can, can create some problems in the environment. And uh, 30% of forest, of trees, uh, can use this CO2 that we produce. Uh, in Chal, actually, we have more than 90% of the surface uh, covered by forest in our valley. Wow, that's very surprising to me and something that 
you don't hear many people talk about, and that's the environmental impact of fermentation. Obviously, it releases CO2, but for some reason, uh, in my small mind, I didn't put it together that this was a harmful CO2 the way that you know maybe burning gasoline would be harmful carbon dioxide. Um, and so you're saying that having 30% of your vineyard site of your total land be forest minimum will equalize the amount of carbon that you put into the atmosphere during fermentation, but you have much more than that. You have 90%. Yeah, 90% about. And this is very important also for our strategy, for, for example, against insects. Mm -hmm. We don't use nothing against insects because the parasite of the vines are also the same parasite living in the forest. But in the forest, they live together the predators. And there are a balancement between parasite and predators. And so in the vines, we have the same situation. Wow. I think, you know, it's just so interesting and, and a topic that uh, I don't hear many winemakers talk about. And I think that a lot of people don't realize is, is so important. I think that um, certainly as Americans, if we look at a vineyard and it's a vineyard on a hill and it's one perfect vine after another, nothing in between, another perfect vine after another, they say, wow, that's, that's beautiful. But what's actually happening there is that each of those vines is just depleting the soil and then you have to fertilize it and it's this constant depletion fertilization. But is it true to say that if you have a lot of growth and biodiversity in the soil, then you don't need to do that same sort of you know, fertilization. Yes, we, we understand that it's really better to have small vines surrounded by natural environment. Yeah, because you can't do a uh, crop rotation with a vine. So um, I know on a, on a farm, you might plant one year, uh, I, I don't know, maybe you plant squash. Mm-hmm. And then the next year you'll plant beans and then the next year you'll plant tomatoes so that every year it's adding something to the soil and it's taking something away from the soil and adding. But the vine stays there hopefully 50, 60, 70 years. Yeah. So it's important to have other things growing around and in between it. Yeah. In fact, uh, in fact uh, we want to have uh, as much as possible the same biodiversity in our vines than in the forest, mm -hmm. for example. And do you do anything goal. to encourage that? Do you plant, specifically plant things between the rows, or do you just allow it to naturally grow? Naturally grow, definitely. Okay. Also, uh, from the, the trees and from also the grass. We don't use any, any kind of selected seeds for, for growing grass in the vine, only the natural ones. Only the natural. And then what eventual effect do you think this has on the taste of the wine and how the wines act? Yeah, it, it is very important, and in my opinion, it is one of the most important things. Because, uh, uh, you know, the, the wine is a product of fermentation of, of the, the, the grape. And uh, when a, a vine grows in, a, in a, a, a good environment condition, without uh, poison, uh, in, in perfect balancement with the environment, give you uh, grapes with more balanced and with more personality, mm -hmm. in my opinion. It makes complete sense to me, actually. And it seems to me that the 
the measure of the biodiversity. And I'd love to know how you like, what, what are ways that you can measure it? But the more biodiversity you have is really a measurement of how healthy your vineyard is. Yes. Of how well you're doing to take care of the land. Yes, it is. And how do, how do you measure it? What can you can you say we have ten thousand flying insects in this one area, or that, or the soil has this much microbial activity? What what are the ways to measure well, biodiversity? Uh, first, uh, the, the measure is not to to have uh, too much in terms of uh, uh, biomass, but in terms of biodiversity. For example, uh, is 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 more more important to have many different species mm-hmm. living together, and this uh, this is an equilibrium one between the other. Not to when one species uh, uh, become too much, that means that something doesn't work. That everything is not in yeah. in uh, playing nicely together. Yes, it is. That makes a lot of sense as well. Um, well, that being said, this is, for me, a completely mind-blowing conversation on biodiversity. And I think that uh, more producers who claim to be uh, organic or um, who claim to be good stewards of their land should focus more on this conversation because uh, it really is the measure of how, of how healthy your vineyard is and how much character your eventual wine has. Well, I hope so, because uh, in my opinion, uh, we have to preserve our, our, our land, our world, and that's the way. Okay. And that being said, we're going to take just a quick one-minute break, and we'll be back with more with Ivan Rapuzzi from Ronki di Chala on In the Drink. Hey, this is Michael Harlan Turkel from the Food Scene on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. You know, every Tuesday at 3 p.m., I stop in the studio, walk to the far side, sit in my favorite blue chair. If you ever stop by Roberta's, look through the window and you can see that chair itself. You know, and I've been sitting here for five plus years, 250 episodes have met some of the best people in the food world, such great culinary minds. Um, And recently, we just relaunched our website, added a whole bunch of shows, but we still need you, our listeners, our friends, our fans, even guests themselves, to help us out. We, we, you know, we're 501c3, a nonprofit, and we're not really doing this for the money. We're doing this for the love, for the greater good of the food world as a whole. So get on HeritageRadioNetwork.org, click that little pounding heart in the top right corner, and, you know, give what you can. Or just keep on listening. We'd love to have you. All right. 
And we're back on In the Drink. Thanks for that message, uh, Michael. We actually wouldn't be here on In the Drink if it wasn't for Michael Harlan Turkel and the food scene. I was a, a guest on his show uh, two and a half years ago and had such a great time that uh, I was invited back to uh, to have our own little show here. Um, but uh, we're back in the studio with Ivan Rapuzzi from Ronki Di Chala. We had a fascinating uh, discussion on biodiversity, uh, but we haven't spoken too much about the actual <laughs> winery um, and the place that you're in, a, a truly specific part of uh, not only a Friuli, but um, uh, tell us about the Chala area that, that you're in and what makes it so unique. Yeah, Chala is a specific small valley. Uh, we are just near the border with Slovenia and not far the border with uh, Austria. So we are 35 kilometers from uh, the Adriatic mm. Sea, so from the Mediterranean basically, and 30 kilometers from the top of the Alps. So we are just uh, in between. And Chala so has some specific uh, characteristics. In fact, uh, we have some freshness and, uh, from uh, the Alps, but we have also some warmer and some uh, Mediterranean influence in our area. In fact, in the, in the valley, uh, in the side where it's possible to grow the vines, grow all the uh, species, the, the three species typical from the Mediterranean region. So we have oaks, cherries, we have olive tree, the vines, figs, everything in the sense. On the other side of the hill, we have um, more a middle European condition, more continental. So we have fagus, you know, abies, completely different. Betula, that grow also in Siberia, <laughs> for example, you know. Beets. So it's completely. What was that? Beets? Beets. Oh, okay. Uh, Thank you, Nicole, for chiming in, because I did not know what Betula was. <laughs> I know the, the Latin names of this tree. Uh, well, Chala is also specific because the main valley of Friuli mm -hmm. are uh, oriented north to south. Chala is east to west, and we have two small streams. We have also some specific uh, situation into the soil because we have basically marm, but with some limestone, mm -hmm. because we are just in between this border between limestone and marm. Do you have, is that uh, considered the punka soil that you see in other parts of Friuli as well? Yes, but together some calc, some karsic uh, influence. Okay. And in terms of the orientation of the vineyards being east-west, I know that a lot of Friuli vineyard sites are influenced by the Bora wind, which mm -hmm. comes from up north. Um, does the east-west uh, orientation affect the the wind? Do you still get that, that wind influence? Yes, we have a Bora wind, of course, but uh, the valley is closed by a, 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 a small mountain mm -hmm. in the north, so uh, it is a little bit uh, uh, preserved from too strong a wind. Yeah. When your parents started the winery in, uh, in 1970, how did they find, was this a, a piece of land that was in the family for a long time or did they they go to it and did they find it no they 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 bought the property when what made them choose this this particular property everything else was 
north-south oriented, and this was different from everything else. Yeah, um, they look around for many different uh, place, uh, location, but uh, when they uh, arrived in Challa, they falling in love with the place. Mm -hmm. It was abandoned in the Second World War, so for about uh, 35 years in that time, 30 years. And but uh, was uh, something magic feeling between them, and they wanted to to start a new life in that place. And I know that it's one of the today it's one of the few monopoles in Italy. I think there's only maybe three or four total monopoles in yeah. Italy. Um, is that how did how was that attained? Is that something that you find to be important for for your wines? Well, it is important, especially for, for the consumer, in my opinion, because that guarantee to the consumer a higher quality of our wine. Because a certificate, it is a certification of our way to produce wine. Mm -hmm. For example, uh, in the main DOC from Friuli, Colio or Colio Orientali, you can produce 11 tons per hectare of grapes. In Challa, you cannot ex exceed six so more or less half. We can release our red wines not before five years from the harvest. At least uh, the regular DOC is one year, so it's completely different. How is the process of applying for your own appellation? Because I imagine at some point it was part of the Colio DOC, and then you had to apply to be just Chala. Uh, as the appellation, did you, were you part? Was your family part of writing those rules? Yes, they, mm, the the ministry, the agricultural ministry, uh, in 1995 was the first year uh, when the uh, the zonazione, the to to find some specific area, uh, start as project of the ministry. And Challa was the perfect situation to uh, to 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 do that. So, the, of course, uh, with my parents, they have some uh, discussion, and, and then uh, this is a law of the, our state. Great. And then uh, to talk more specifically about the grapes, um, we said at the top of the show that you focus only on the indigenous or the native grapes of the area. Um, from uh, what everything I understand, it, your parents really are credited with saving the Schiopettino grape yeah. from near extinction. Yeah. Can you share with us uh, what that process is like? And I love these stories. You hear them uh, many times in Italy with an indigenous grape, whether it's Fiano or Timorasso in yeah. Piedmont or something like this. Um, what is the unique story of Schiopettino and your parents? Well, Schiopettino is uh, uh, probably w was one of the most historic historical variety from Friuli. In fact, uh, there are some documents from the Middle Age, from the 13th century, that spoke about uh, that variety in Friuli. But historically, Schiopettino was cultivated in few kilometers in Cialla Valley, in few kilometers around Cialla Valley, and not in other places, because outside this small area gives a good wine, but with different characteristics. And it lost, especially the, the spiciness, the peppery, some specific and unique characteristic that you, you can have only in Cialla. 
Uh, this was the lucky for Schiappettino, but also the unlucky of Schiappettino. Because, for example, when uh, in uh, 1855 uh, arrived the phylloxera, all the Schiappettino vines was destroyed by that pest. And nobody has the time uh, to preserve and to keep uh, some, uh, some, uh, some vine. After phylloxera, uh, we had the First and the Second World War, and we was on the front line in the area thousand people die and nobody works uh, in, in the vines for other 50 years about. So after all that big problems, Schiopettina was considered completely extinct, disappeared. In fact, it was not permitted, uh, was not listed on the authorized variety because it was considered as extinct. When my parents bought the property in Challa, uh, they know Schiopettino only by old papers. But they wanted to try to find again the Schiopettino. And they worked for two years, and they were able to find the 60 survived plants. Not all together, but one here, one there. And they take the pieces of food, make new plants. And after that, now it's possible, thanks to my parents, it's possible to drink again Schiopettino. How were they able to identify these plants as Schiopettino? Did whoever, whoever was... Was anyone growing them and they knew that this was, they had three Schiopettino plants from yeah. back in the day? Yeah. First, uh, exists a, a bibliography, some literature mm -hmm. about uh, the, the Ampelographia. And so my parents have some picture of, uh, the, of the plant, of the leaves, of the, 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 the clusters, the berries, some specific characteristics. And the Schiopettino is uh, so different mm -hmm. from each other varieties that you cannot do any mistake in identification. That is fascinating. So these very old drawings were able to help them identify the Schiopettino. And now how many hectares of Schiopettino are grown? We have eight hectares about. And uh, do you know in total in Friuli? Is well, probably 30. About 30. Yeah. So it's still a, uh, a, uh, a, a small uh, grape in terms of how many, how many hectares are grown. But for someone who loves Italian wine and loves uh, wines from Friuli, it, it looms larger in my brain than 30 hectares. I think of it as, more important, <laughs> a, as a more important grape. Um, and one of the, the fascinating things that, that uh, you guys do, you said that your, your reds are aged at least five years before release. Um, I've always been fascinated by your white wines that can age for such an incredibly long time. Um, Nicole has shared some from the, the 90s with mm -hmm. me and my team that are just absolutely beautiful. Um, can you tell us about the aging of your white wines um, was that something that your parents had done, uh, and uh, how, how did that all come about? Yes, it seems seem strange, but in Challa, every wine can age very well. We have a piece of land that makes uh, such a miracle in some way. Uh, in fact, uh, I'm sure that sometimes, uh, some, some vintage, we, we did some mistakes, of course. We are humans, so we cannot do everything perfect. But the wines, every year, uh, uh, can live so long, every different vintage. And the white, exactly as the, red, the reds, uh, is the same thing. Probably because we have... Um, this uh, uh, combination between uh, the freshness of the Alps and the warmer 
from the Mediterranean. But this the cialla bianco was also produced in the past, yes. historically. Historically, yeah, yeah. It, it, it is a wine produced in the Middle Age. In the Middle Age, yeah. of that same grape variety yes. blend. Yeah. And it's Ribola Verduzzo Piccoli, is that right. correct? Okay. And that's so interesting, too, because I, we also think of Verduzzo and Piccoli being more dessert wine grapes. Yeah. But to make an age-worthy, dry, serious, complex white wine uh, is fascinating with that. In fact, uh, you can obtain some sweet wine by drying or late harvesting. But if you had the regular harvest, you obtain a dry white wine. Wow. And what is, because uh, we have to finish up, but if you were to uh, sum up the, the terroir and what makes Chala specific for our guests, um, what makes it so, so unique and, and delicious? Well, uh, probably the main characteristic given uh, by Chala terroir into the wine is the freshness, the minerality, uh, some spicy. Uh, all the wines have uh, some characteristic in that way, and all the wine can age it very well. Yeah, yeah and the mark of, uh, of of all really great wines, the ageability, the uh, minerality in reds and whites, um, and that freshness, that good acidity that makes it food food worthy, and then certainly a distinctiveness, which our wines have, that have a personality so unique and so specific to one place. Uh, few other wines have that so strongly. Um, it is such a pleasure to have you on In the Drink, uh, and please keep up the, the good work. Uh, we'll, we'll always be proud to have your wines at our restaurants. Thank you, I promise. Thank, thank you, Ivan, so much. Uh, I wanted to thank once again uh, Nicole Heyman from Soil Air and thank the whole you. team at Soil Air for, for organizing this. And, of course, our fearless producer and engineer, Jack and Jory. Thank you guys for putting this together every week. You guys are the best. And, of course, thanks, you guys, for listening. This has been In the Drink on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. Thanks for listening to this program on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Heritage underscore Radio. You can email us questions at any time at info at heritageradionetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening. <laughs>